Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast by two moms who write about autism and who also happen to be Star Trek fans. We talk about the new series, compare it with previous versions of Star Trek, and also talk about any autism examples we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Welcome back to Moms Going Boldly in our continuing exploration of episodes related to the Mirror Universe. Today we are talking about the original series episode, Mirror Mirror. We have already discussed the episodes in chronological order thus far, which were the original series episode, The Tholian Web, which was chronologically followed by the Enterprise series episodes, In a Mirror Darkly. And then chronologically came the four Discovery episodes. Now we are chronologically in the place where Mirror Mirror takes place. And this is one of my absolute favorite episodes. And if I have to list a top five of my original series favorites, this is going to be in that top five. How, how about you? It was, I, I wouldn't put it in my top five, but I did like it. It was always, it was one of my favorites. Yeah. I loved the storyline. I loved the idea of the mirror universe and the parallel personalities. I loved the the gold belts. <laughs> As a kid, I thought those were awesome. So the story starts with our universe, some of our Enterprise crew, on a planet called Halkin. And they're trying to negotiate for dilithium crystals. And it's Captain Kirk, Lieutenant Uhura, Dr. McCoy... And Scotty, who were on the planet's surface working with the Halkin Council. And the Halkin Council has a moral and ethical objection to allowing the Federation to use their dilithium crystals because even though the Federation is a peace-loving entity focused on exploration, they're concerned about how the crystals could be used in the future and they can't allow the crystals to be used in a way which could be violent or, or unethical to them even in the future, even if the current usage would be ethically okay. So Captain Kirk is very understanding. He said, we'll meet again. We'll talk about it some more. And then says, we're going to try to beam out. Now, while they're having this conversation with the Hawkins, there's thunder and lightning going on overhead because of an ion storm. And Spock is telling the captain via communicator that they're having a rough ride and that the transport might be challenging so they say okay we have to go because of the ion storm and they beam away from the Halkin council and there's something funky that happens with the transporter and we see Spock and Lieutenant Kyle who's acting as the transporter chief trying to get them to beam in and then successfully completes the transport of our four crew members but when they arrive on the platform they look back at Spock and Lieutenant Kyle, and it's not the Spock and Lieutenant Kyle that we know. And Spock's got his fabulous goatee going. The Terran Empire symbol behind them, the emblem behind them on the wall, and they all do the chest bang and arm salute 
to the captain and and this is when we break for the credits at this moment of complete confusion where where are we and who are these people after we get back from the credits Spock is talking about the difficulty of beaming them up in the ion storm and Lieutenant Kyle made a mistake some kind of error and so Spock asks him for his agonizer and I thought you know we've been talking about sort of the evolution of the agony booth from yes yes for, from the what we've seen in Enterprise and what we saw on Discovery and so here's now a device that sort of personalizes the agony that's exactly. It, that's the sort of like, yeah, it's like a, a an evolution of the device. And maybe it was part of some of what they learned from the Defiant and utilize that technology to make the agonizer a more painful and personal experience. However, they still have an agony booth. So there must be degrees right. of agony. Right. Now, would they have learned that from the Defiant? Because in this episode, they... Do not mention the Defiant. No, they don't. And and in, in a mirror darkly, that had nothing to do with our universe, so they still wouldn't know about the Defiant. Well, they had the Defiant in a mirror, mirror darkly. Right, but it wasn't a, it wasn't both mirror it, it wasn't both universes. It was just about them. We knew they had it. Well, I'm reasoning that maybe they utilized some of the advanced technology from the Defiant to refine their agonizing torture methods, and that's why we see an agonizer now when we didn't see one before or after. Right. That's, I was... I guess, I guess from, I, that's true, because discovery comes in between. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm thinking of Enterprise. It, they were just in the mirror universe. It wasn't both, so right. I'm wondering how would know about the Defiant, but I forgot that now Discovery's in the middle there. Yeah. They know about it. Okay. Yeah, so so Enterprise, being the earliest in this chronological order, their form of agony was the agony booth that Dr. Flox and Lieutenant Reed crafted. And then in Discovery, we saw the agony booth and also the fidget spinner of death. And now we're right. seeing now we're seeing this personal agonizer device. Other Made it portable. They made it portable, exactly. The other thing that's really interesting is is that when they the scene is over and our four enterprise, our four our universe crew members go to the uh, sick bay in order to make sure that nothing happened to them while they were in transport, and also to give them an opportunity to discuss privately what the heck is going on. It was interesting to me how this ship, this new enterprise was exactly the same as the Defiant. It was the same as the Defiant? Yes. The same the same style ship. Okay. And that was kind of funny because, of course, Mirror Mirror takes place in the second season of the original series and the Tholian Web took place in the third season. And they okay. utilized the same sets for the Defiant that they utilized for Enterprise. Right. But now as we look at it chronologically... Arguably, the Terran Empire took the Defiant model and reproduced it for all of their ships in the Terran fleet. So that when we get to the time frame of Mirror Mirror, it's the exact same ship. Right. As okay. the time frame of the Defiant when it was pulled back into the Mirror Universe. So this is, I said to myself in my head, this is essentially a paradox created by set design. It is, though. <laughs> no, I mean, it is, sort of. I mean, I know, I get it's a joke, but um, they are, they're stuck with that design. 
that broke through our fourth wall a little bit for us. So our crew goes to sickbay. And I have to say, Captain Kirk was like really fast on the uptake here. He figured out the whole parallel universe thing within about 30 seconds. Wasn't that an impressive? It was. <laughs> it was almost like how fast Lurka figured it out, although he, he had some inside information. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So he managed to, without Spock's help whatsoever, figure out that they were in a parallel universe, which was great because then that put us on the path of instead of the story being where are we and what happened, the story is now how do we get back, which is actually a better story. And so I was kind of glad, even though it was it was a little funny how fast he got to that. It, I was kind of glad they did because now we could move on to, okay, how are we going to get home? The first thing that they needed to do was to stop the destruction of the Hawkins because when they arrived on the ship and found that they were in this parallel mirror universe environment, they also learned that while their counterparts may have been different in the mirror universe, the Hawkins were essentially the same and they were still the peace-loving, ethically oriented people who were not going to be giving up their dilithium to the Terran Empire. And right, and I thought that was odd. I, I, I thought that, I saw, I noticed that too. You know, if this is the mirror universe, why are they, they seem, although we only see them on the screen for a couple of minutes. Yeah, and did you notice how really awful they looked? He, he did. He looked like he was on death's door. Yeah. So there was a contrast in that in our universe, the Hawkins were healthy and in a good place as a society. Whereas when we saw the mirror universe Hulk and he, yeah, you're right. You know, dark bags under his eyes and really yeah. unhealthy yeah. and, you know, kind of made you wonder if the, the Terran empire had been, you know, starving them and depriving them of needed medicine. I, I mean, I don't know, but, but you're right. There is a, the parallel, even though there's mirror and reverse and opposites, there's also parallels that seem to be the same. And this ethical framework of the Hawkins was one of those things. Like the like this the design of the ship was one of those things, right? It kind of goes to show that parallel universes can be unpredictable. Sure. I think. I think so. They go to sick bay and Doctor McCoy's the sick bay is a mess and they're reasoning out everything and they and they have to figure out how to stop the killing of the Hawkins, which is apparently just general orders when a planet defies the Empire, they're going to be destroyed. So. Kurt gives Scotty an assignment to go damage the phaser so they can't blow up the Hawken planet. And he tells Uhura to go to the bridge and look up his orders and see what his options are for the Hawkins. There's this lovely scene between the two of them where she's afraid and he reassures her. And she, I, I really, I've always liked that scene. The fact that she said, hey, look, I'm, I'm scared. And he was like, I am too. You can do this. <laughs> He didn't actually say those words, but that was the implication I got was right. like, we all are. This is very scary here. And so then he she goes to the bridge and she uh, I thought she really handled, you know, this very scary environment very well. She blended in well. She got her orders. He showed up. Oh, yeah. Don't forget that uh, Sulu starts to hit on her. Right. right. <laughs> and she's like, get away from me. And then the captain shows up and. He learns that he has no options with the Hawkins, but he chooses not to fire on them anyway, which confuses everyone on the bridge. Chekhov and Sulu and Spock are all confused by the fact that Captain is not blowing up the Hawkins. And so then he says, I'm going to my quarters. I'm going to do some things there and I'll be back. And then Chekhov generates some signal on his board and so then and then joins the captain in the turbo lift. And when the captain 
As Turbolift arrives in the hallway, he's attacked, and this is when we learn that the way that advancement occurs in the Empire is by killing captains, and everybody then gets to move up in rank like dominoes falling over. One of the henchmen turns on Chekhov and saves the captain, and they send Chekhov to the booth. <laughs> so we haven't seen the agony booth yet, but he's headed off to the booth. And then Kirk and McCoy and Scotty end up in Kirk's quarters, and they get the computer to confirm the hypothesis that they're in an alternate universe and to tell them how to get back. And then he hands off the little plastic card to Scotty and says, make it so. <laughs> Scotty and McCoy have to go do some engineering things, and then but he's a doctor, not an engineer. And he's a doctor, not an engineer, exactly. And then Kirk meets Spock in the hallway, and they check out Chekhov in the booth, which is you know a completely inhumane torture device that the captain is appalled by, and that Spock doesn't even blink twice at. And then they have a really nice conversation about how Spock thinks Kirk is a great captain and he doesn't want to be captain. And he hopes that that Kirk will have be able to, you know, follow through on his orders and that he will be able to remain captain. And then Kirk goes back to his quarters and he finds a very beautiful woman there. We learned from her his encounter with this beautiful woman several things. One, that she's been the captain's woman for a long time, but their relationship is apparently faded and is not going so well. Two, he has a device in his quarters that enabled him to rise to power that essentially makes people disappear. Yes. Three, that Captain Kirk will kiss anyone in any universe. Yes. My son said, wow, does he just kiss a woman every single episode? And I said, pretty much, yeah. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. He gets a message from Spock. Spock says, I've been ordered to kill you if you don't annihilate the Hawkins by dawn. And so now we have a time frame on the must get home thing. Kirk turns around and relays to Scotty and Scotty says, oh, no, no, no. You don't have until dawn. We've got 30 minutes and we have to get out of here. So they get Uhura to distract Sulu, which is a great scene where she says, the game is, is that I protest and you come back. You didn't come back. And so then he's distracted when his board blinks for whatever they're doing in the transporter. And then she hits him. And when he goes after her, she pulls out a knife and holds him off. I have to tell you, as a five or six-year-old, this was probably one of my favorite scenes ever. Because yes. I love the idea of a woman being able to defend herself. Yes. It, it was, was. It's just awesome. So she leaves the bridge and she, they're all going to meet together in sickbay. But Spock's clued in. He knows something's going on. And so he goes into sick bay and he's like, yep, it's the landing party. It's the four of you. You guys have been acting weird since you got back. You're going to tell me what's going on. And they're like, no, we're not. We're going to attack you instead. And so there's a great fight scene, which they do a lot of overhead shots so that we can't really see the faces of the stunt team. And we get to see Spock doing crazy eyes, which is always a good fun. And then... Uhura gives Kirk a skull, and Kirk hits Spock over the head with it, and then McCoy's like, we gotta save his life, so put him on the table so I can take care of him. At which point my son said, I don't understand, it's just a little blunt force drama. <laughs> <laughs> While they're waiting for McCoy to heal Spock from his little bit of blunt force trauma, Sulu shows up, and he makes it clear that he's gonna kill Spock 
and the captain, and then he's going to rise in rank and further his ambitions. But then people start disappearing around him, and we see that the captain's woman, her name's Marlena, she's using the device in the captain's quarters to make people disappear. Kirk, Uhura, and Scotty all go to the transporter room to wait for McCoy while he's fixing Spock. Spock wakes up, does the mind meld with McCoy, and then comes down to the transporter room and says, I'm going to handle this because I want my captain back and I want you off my ship. Marlena shows up too because she's trying to force them into taking her with them because she likes this captain better than her other captain, and you can't really blame her. There is one scene, one very yes. brief scene, where we get to see the other four crew members. Yeah. And they're funny. They're so very angry. <laughs> what did you think of that scene? It was funny. They can't. I can't blame her for wanting to go with them. Yeah, they're just sort of sleazy and angry and petty and they poured it on they 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 did it's 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 and it's a shame that's that's all we get to see of them yeah so to me they didn't last too long there before people figured out it it wasn't the captain and well if you sit and think about the actual amount of time that passed from when they beamed on to their mirror universe ship and when they left it's about an hour right so it must have been about 20 minutes in <laughs> that they were like, Figured out. Yeah, you're not who you're fun. supposed to be. <laughs> Spock says, I'm going to beam you back. I need my captain. You need to leave. I'll take care of this. And so then we get this wonderful scene where Kirk is out logicking Spock about the logic of waste and supporting an empire that is going to amount to nothing in 240 years. Right. And, you know, we have we one of our things that we do is we identify things that sometimes look like autism in these shows. Mm -hmm. And the conversation between Kirk and Spock reminded me a little bit of autism as Kirk was so passionately discussing this very important thing. And Spock was counting down the time. Right. You have 10 minutes. You have two seconds left. You have 30 seconds left. And it's just that great disconnect that can happen. And they're not, it's not that they weren't communicating and it's not that they weren't hearing each other, but the conversation was a little disconnected and that was kind of funny. And it made me think of sometimes the conversations I have with my son. Right. Because some things are more, the things they're listening to each other, but there's something more important on his mind. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that was, that was my, the autism moment that I pulled from. More important to him. Exactly. But he's still listening. Right. So. They get on the transporter pad and Spock beams them away and they arrive on their own ship and they're so happy to be there and we need to have a conversation about why their clothes changed. Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I was happy that they got to transport in proper attire. <laughs> yeah, that part didn't really make sense, though it added it to the feel. That didn't make sense yeah. to me, but that it, was one of them. Why, why did they transport in the proper attire yeah. for the ship? It was, it was almost like, were, did their, only their like consciousnesses transport, and they were actually in the bodies of their alternate universe counterparts? Because that would I explain why they were in their clothes. Right. I have no idea. None of that was ever explained. Yeah. And I also want to know why, how 
to, well, they assume got back to um, their ship in the mirror universe. Because the way it was explained that his team got to the mirror universe was there was a transport accident during an ion storm, and the other team must have been transporting at the exact same time as they did. Yes. So at the end, I mean, they couldn't have coordinated that because they had no contact with people in the other universe. So at the end, how did the back to the mirror universe? Well, it actually kind of was addressed a bit in Discovery with this whole idea that when Discovery jumped into the mirror universe, the mirror universe was somehow pulled into our universe. Okay, so it's just automatic? It That Discovery kind of made it seem that way. Okay. And and they talked about it, too, when they were talking about how when Lorca, the mirror Lorca, came to our universe through a transporter accident during an ion storm, right. that that the somehow the our universe Lorca was transported into the mirror universe. So there is, I guess, some kind of automaticality, if that's a word, that takes place with the transporting of these people which then begs the question when we get to the deep space nine episodes because there's so much going back and forth to the mirror universe in those episodes are those people constantly being shifted back and forth it doesn't seem like it it seems like it doesn't so i don't everybody stays where they're supposed to be except for the person going back and forth. yeah so we're gonna have to look at that more closely when we watch those episodes yeah. and see if that sort of satisfactorily explained yes so we, we are happily back on, and everybody's back where they're supposed to be. We have our, our universe crew back where they're supposed to be, and the Mirror Universe crew is back where they're supposed to be, and Spock has some great lines about how he got to observe the barbarians and how it was easier for civilized men to become barbarians and the barbarians to become civilized men. That, and that particular axiom that Spock laid out was defied by Lorca. Lorca figured out how to do it. So we have an example of that. And then he insulted uh, Kirk and McCoy by saying he found the barbarians quite refreshing. (laughs) And then Kirk is handed a a report to sign off on by a lieutenant who is the woman who was the captain's woman in the mirror universe, Marlena. And... He stares at her and then tells Spock, she seems like a nice, likable girl. We could become good friends. And then at the end, you see him stepping off the captain's chair to go talk to her, <sighs> presumably to start a relationship. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. Um, just back to Ahura, I'm, I was glad they gave her those two scenes on the bridge with yeah. Sulu. yeah. Because the part that you said that you liked where she was afraid, didn't like that. And I didn't like when they transported in. Um, everybody was confused, but everybody seemed to coddle her and put their arms around her and block her eyes. So I didn't like that scene. Yeah. And they were treating her like a child and being condescending. So I was glad that they gave her those two scenes on the bridge. Well, and you know what else they gave her? She disarmed Marlena in the transporter room, too. So she also had, you know, a strong scene there. Right. Yeah. So I was glad they gave her those scenes because it up until that point was her being afraid, her being coddled and treating her like 
she was somebody who needed to be protected. Yeah. And, and I will say that's something that I'm really glad has changed over the years in Star Trek. You know, we talked last time about, or was it two times ago now, about, you know, the midriffs and the belly button bearing Terran universe uniforms. But one thing that has changed over the years is that the women have become stronger and more self-reliant. And where we saw Uhura have, you know, use a phaser and disarm someone in an episode, even after being coddled. We don't really see that very much. We certainly don't see that in Discovery. Right. You see it less and less as time goes on and the women are able to... That's a good thing. And it's just funny because, you know, I haven't seen in years. My son and I have watched the whole series over, but we watch it in the morning. Which series? You know, so the whole original series. Oh, yeah. It from beginning to end, but we were watching it in the morning, you know, so it was kind of on, and sometimes we weren't in the room because we're getting ready and having breakfast. So I haven't really sat down and paid attention to all of the episodes, and that that's what's hitting me throughout. Don't remember it bothering me. Of course, I was a kid. Well, and that was very much, you know, as much as, and I think you've heard me say this before, as much as Star Trek pushed the boundaries of culture, it was also a reflection of culture. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm glad to see that's changed in the other series that yeah. have come after that. Yeah. But it, it's just funny that it didn't, I really didn't notice it. Well, again, I was a kid. Um and even in the rewatch, because we're not paying 100% attention, we're getting ready to go to work. And uh, now that we're, you know, doing those and I'm watching to pay attention, I'm noticing it more and more. Yes. In our chronological discussion, we started off with the Tholian Web, and then we moved into Enterprise and In a Mirror Darkly, and then we moved into our four Discovery episodes and now we're at the episode mirror mirror and i think they've done a really good job with the continuity especially since from an air date standpoint mirror mirror came first and set the stage for the mirror universe but from a chronological story standpoint we started a different place and and i have to say having watched these what is this now one three seven eight episodes so far into the mirror universe series that the that the consistency has been really good i think they did a really good job they really tapped back to this first mirror mirror story when crafting the ones that came after from an air date perspective they did yes anything else that you want to add about mirror mirror I don't think so. So next time, we're going to delve into the Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe episodes. And I think we're probably going to take those one at a time. And the first one is called Crossover. A new look, a new take on the Mirror Universe. It's, It's what happened after Spock considered the analysis that Kirk offered him as he was beaming off the ship. So we hope our listeners will join us on Moms Going Boldly when we talk about crossover. If you'd like to reach us, I can be reached on my blog, autismmom.com. I could be found at taking it a step at a time at takingstep.com. 
links to both of our blogs are in the sidebar of the Moms Going Boldly Podbean podcast website. And we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. The music on Moms Going Boldly is called Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. Ross Bugden Music can be found on Twitter at Ross Bugden.